I'm Dr. Dobek, and she is a dietitian. Hi, I'm Hannah Schuyler, and together we are the Doctor Dietitian Collab. Welcome. Thank you, boy. To this topic is near and dear to me. I've always, actually, I've always wanted to write a book about it. Ooh. It's called When the Lights Go Down. The book will be out next week. Probably. Yeah, I'm going to write it, but it's going to be called When the Lights Go Down: Tales from the laparoscopic operating room. So yes, we do operate in the dark. And today I want to shine a light on what happens behind those mysterious operating room doors. I want to tell you what it's like. And Hannah, I know has, as she said in the other podcast, she has visited other operating rooms. She has visited mine on several occasions. And I would love your perspective on things that really kind of rocked your world and surprised you, but other things that were kind of boring a little bit. Well, I think I think the lights being out is the most shocking thing initially. And then you get used to it. But you're in there so they'll, you know, if you're in there prior to the surgery actually starting, you know, the overhead lights are on. It looks like if you've seen an OR on TV, like it's got just the fluorescence and whatever and then they have this little thing. And then they turn out some of the lights and then they turn out like all of the lights. Oh yeah. And it's like at first, you think like the second stage is is going to be it. Like you couldn't get possibly get darker no, in here no. and do surgery. No, 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 no. It gets like dark, and then they have the screens up, and you can see everything. And you have your screens placed perfectly by somebody who knows. There's somebody that works with you, and they're like, no, oh, yeah. no, no. Let me get her screen right so she oh, can yeah. see it. Um, and it's just so interesting to see because then they've got these like things that they pull on and move and. And then it's almost like watching – it gets to a point – and this is maybe where it gets a little boring sometimes. It's almost like watching somebody play a video game. You know, if you've <laughs> ever been that way, I remember like in middle school, high school, like my guy friends would be like, you know, we're uh, hanging out or whatever and they're like playing Halo and it's like – Okay, like I'm not playing, you know, right. like I'm not involved. I'm just like watching you play. Or it's even like watching sports on TV. Sometimes it's kind of like, okay, somebody else is doing this. Um, but I, I don't think it's really boring. But eventually sometimes you kind of can tune out. It also depends on who else is in the OR. Oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, it is so boring if you're not playing. And so that this is so funny you say that. So becoming a surgeon is a leap of faith because you are watching somebody else do something that you – a, have no business doing because you don't know how to do it. And guess what? The subject matter is not just a game. It is a human life that is laying there. So it is a very slow training. That's why it takes 14 years and six of those being de very defined surgical training beyond to be able to do this skill set. And then even early in your career, you're still refining and still getting, you know, fine tuning those details on how to do this very proficiently and efficiently. So yeah, it's a lot of like, oh, I hope um, that I'll like that. I guess I'm going to dedicate my life to this. And at the end of those 14 years, boy, this sucks. I mean, yeah. can you imagine? Like, right. I don't want to do this anymore. So you hope that you you there's a certain energy that is of those who work in the operating room. Mm -hmm. And today we really want to take you again behind the scenes and teach you about all of the players and how they all come together to do this work. So, you know, it, we're talking about like when the lights go down and like you said, the lights go 
really else. So when you come into the operating room, the lights are on, the traditional OR lights that are blinding you, all of those things are are very much on. And then once I start, after I get the first, what they call trocar, a trocar inside your abdomen, and then I blow it up with um, insufflation. It it establishes something called a pneumoperitoneum, which basically means I put CO2 in there and I have enough working space to be able to see. So yes, you are completely asleep and you're completely relaxed and I'm looking around the um, abdomen in there. And once I get that first trocar in, I turn the room lights off, but I keep those OR spotlights on only. So if we're going to take in a picture, that's the best time for the dramatic lining. And Hannah knows that. She's always um, in there. She's taking some pics. But then after I get all four of the trocars in, that is when um, the lights officially officially go off there as well. So it is, um, there's a lot that goes on. Um, I always equate it to a line actually from the movie that's about the franchise of McDonald's. Um, In that movie, um, the main character there, who's the one that really saw the potential of McDonald's, which I know is a little taboo here for us, but um, they said like, what is the secret to making sure a, a cheeseburger here in the U.S. tastes the same as one in China, perhaps? And they said um, simply that you're striving for a symphony of efficiency, not a wasted motion. So everybody in the OR has a defined task so that you don't duplicate efforts, that you don't trip over each other, that you all accomplish it if this, then that. And that's what, when you see a really well-oiled, beautifully done um, operation, it is just a thing. It is like watching or hearing a beautiful symphony. It it really is wild because obviously I don't go in regularly. You know, it's periodically we'll step in. And of course, we're the ones that they're trying to not trip over because we are always in the way. Um, (laughs) But you see it. It's like you don't even have to ask for the thing. It's Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. You know, you put your hand back and you're like, it's in your hand and it's switched out. And the, the, the person that's there and you'll talk through who that is. But they, they just know. And I think you have now developed to a team. And I think yes. that's what's so important as well as the consistency of the team that you have in the OR. If you were working with new people every day or every surgery, like it would not be as smooth. No, not at all. I mean, and the team is, I think it's just paramount to all fields of success and mm-hmm. business and in medicine and whatever you say. And and it is it is so critical at um and, and that's even uh you know healthcare, especially in the OR world, we really try to replicate it off of the flight world, uh, off of aviation and their checks and balances and um the again the systematic approach to how they fly a plane and and land a plane and make sure that every single thing, and if one little checkbox is there, you do not move past go. You must start over and you must do this correctly. So we actually, um, so what happens is you come into the room, you come, you get wheeled into the OR room, the lights are on. We have you all cozy on blankets. You move from the stretcher that you're wheeled in onto, onto that narrow, hard operating room bed. Have you ever laid on an OR bed? I have not. Oh, my gosh. Well, this thing is – it is narrow, so you feel like you're going to fall off. I'm just warning you guys now. It is – no matter what your body habit is, it it feels like, whoo. And then um, we keep you all tucked in, all warm and cozy. 
And then you'll go to sleep. You'll get those sweet, sweet anesthesia drugs. You will enjoy the anesthesia. And you will either have an anesthesiologist who stays for the duration of the case or a nurse anesthetist. But when you go to sleep, there's likely two different providers that are actually putting you to sleep. And they do that by giving you medications through your IV. And then they also will give you some gas to breathe, some oxygen. And then ultimately, you'll go asleep asleep. So these surgeries have to be done under a general anesthetic. And people are worried about that. Yeah. Have you heard a lot of our patients just saying like, I don't, I'm okay with it, but I'm, I'm so scared of the anesthesia. I'm so scared of anesthesia. I think that's just, I think that's a common thing. Our patients, anybody, just you hear about anesthesia and the risks that it, you know, that there is, but, um, and you know, some people have some poor reactions. You might feel sick or something after, but I, you know, for the most part, I think people come, come out just fine. But yeah, we definitely hear that, that they're like, and I think Talking back to the bypass versus the sleeve, like you said, like you're under anesthesia longer for the bypass, and that's what gets some people too in that decision making. Yeah, they get very, very scared about it. But like I said, lay back, enjoy it. And your mindset is actually critically important because if you go to sleep and you're thinking of some great things, ultimately you'll wake up thinking about the same things. And so if you're like, I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm scared. You'll wake up like still tearful and still emotional. And so if you kind of go down with, you know what, I, um, I'm making the best decision for myself and um, here is that true dream that I'm going to pick out and like you just think about all of that and you wake up and I do think that the energy of all of that is a very critical component of your recovery, yeah. even in the short term. I'd probably wake up with like a to-do list because yeah. that's how I wake up now. Oh, gosh. Like, oh. Wake up with instant anxiety of all the things you have to accomplish for that yeah. day? Oh, my gosh. Well, if if there is a surgical to-do list, well, let me tell you what it needs to be. Number one, as soon as your eyes open, my friends, have that expectation that, can I walk yet? Like, ma'am, you just literally finish your surgery. And sometimes patients are, like, seriously like that. They're, like, they're so, like, kind of out of it, almost, like, stoned, like, ugh. And then um, we're, they're already um, asking if they can stand up and walk because they are ready to start their journey. And they are very concerned about their gas pains. And they are just ready to rock and roll. Yeah. So we hear that. So that's number one on your priority list. Number two, when you can, sit up and start sipping. So we want to make sure that um, you're able to, and we give fluids right there in the recovery room. As soon as you open up, you're like, you're ready to drink? Let's let's give it a whirl. Let's try it. Yeah. So there is a sip. You don't want to really chug it. There is a way that you could go too fast. And then we want you to walk to the bathroom and urinate in the bathroom. So we don't use Foley catheters or we don't have you pee on a bedpan or with you know a diaper or pattern. No, 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 no. You're going to pee in the bathroom. So those are kind of like, that's your to-do list. Walking, peeing, drinking. And that is what is going to make your recovery a lot faster. So that ex- expedites that. So yeah. that's actually not a bad thing to wake, wake up with up a to-do, to-do list. list. There you, there go. you go. Always the ever bright <laughs> Hannah here with her ideas. Yeah. Or anxiety, you know, one or the other. One or the other, which and that's going to be another same another same. podcast <laughs> episode. And yeah, kind of the same thing. You're a type A. You're an overachiever, which you know what? That's okay. That's not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. So um, other players in the room, um, you already mentioned, um, but there are scrub technicians, scrub techs. And these um, are the true just rock stars of the room. Mm-hmm. They set up your back table. They are obeying all sterility principles. So they make sure that this is sterile. So the way we scrub in with the way um, we do that for a set period of time, getting every like little nook cranny under the nail on up the arms all the way to the elbow, we come in. Um, but you can't let your hands go too high or too low. There's actually like kind of a zone that you have to keep your hands in. Huh. 
Um, you didn't know that. I didn't know that. Oh, okay. I just assumed it was I just to keep them out of the way. Like you. No, you can't drop your hands. If you drop your hands, you're below below field. Okay. Below the field, so there is a sterile sterile, sterile field. field. Okay. So like a thing start to fall, like at some point, like your inclination might be to grab it, but you don't want to grab it because um if it's too far down, it's below the sterile field. So at some point, you're like ah, I missed it. Even though yeah. you could have grabbed it, you don't do it because right. it's below that line. So you get a new it's one. Like a baseball. Like, it is. So there's like a zone I got to stay in. Yeah. It's like the, the strike zone there. And that's the extent of my baseball knowledge. Wow. That's the chill. whole thing. Well, um, I know that there's <laughs> f- four bases, I think. Oh, yeah. Well, I think that's considered four bases. No, I uh, – yes. Sports. I know. I know. It was sports. Here we go. Okay, back on back on track here. Let's get back in our lane, shall we? <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, they um, set everything up. And so um, they, there's a ster- sterile technique in which they open the instruments the way that they are presented in these like peel packs. Like it's almost like you're opening string cheese. Mm-hmm. And when you like separate the two, like you just grab the cheese. You don't touch the wrapper. If you touch the wrapper, that means you contaminated yourself. <laughs> When you're, it really is like the game operation. It is. Yeah, you don't want to touch the sides. You don't want to touch anything that is um, not sterile. You're contaminated. Not good. And we check like the indicators to make sure that they were like baked in the um, in those sterile processors for a certain period of time. Like there is a lot that goes into um, obeying sterile technique. So they set up all the instruments, and um, this is where I am undeniably a creature of habit. I can tell you to the suture, how many needles I will use, the stapling, the graspers. We don't have anything that's open that if we don't, if we might not use it, we don't open it to start with mm-hmm. because we don't want to waste any money, any, we don't want to waste anything. So it is, it is super lean. And with the repetitive nature of these procedures, it's, it's pretty good. So the tech, yes, they know exactly. So that means that we can talk in the operating room, which I think a lot of people are surprised about. So you can hold a conversation and you can also um, listen to some music. Was that mm-hmm. surprising to you? I think only because they talk about it, like in Grey's Anatomy, like oh, they'll talk about like what music are they playing or like who's in charge of it. I think it comes up in a lot of different like medical TV shows where they'll be like, all right. And like it's usually like gangster rap or something. And it's, it's the person <laughs> you least expect <laughs> yes, plays exactly. like the most wild music. So I think I knew that that was happening, but... I don't think if I hadn't seen that before, it wouldn't have been my expectation. I would have accepted it to be very somber, like we're all – you're very focused in. I don't want to say that you're not focused in, but I would have imagined it's like this like just drilling into the focus. And it's it's not you, – you have that ability to still hold a conversation or teach, which mm-hmm. you do a lot of that, especially if you know you have other people in the OR. You'll explain what's happening as you're going through, even though you don't have to, because you and the person know what you're doing, you know, the other person that you're with. Exactly. Yeah, we are. There's very much so, um, again, this team approach. So when that happens, you can really kind of get um, – I don't know. I feel like I can walk and talk at the same time. And mm-hmm. even on my Instagram, if you want, you can see myself like doing surgeries and, um, and doing them live. I did them with the Our Sleeve Life podcast, mm-hmm. another great podcast. And um, and so you can check check that whole thing out. Um, but yes, my assistant on the other side of the table from me. So the operating surgeon 
stands on the patient's right side. So the way that you're laying on the table, your arms are out. We, by the way, when we um, prep your abdomen, that means put like sterile, like um, chlorhexidine kind of um, to just basically clean it all off. We put a blanket in a bear hugger, which is a um, kind of a heated blanket that has air that goes through that's heated. So we have that from your, around your like chest line up. So you're not exposed in there. At least we try our very best. Like you're not just a buck naked. You are naked under there, but you're not, um, your breasts are not exposed. Your genitalia is never exposed. I never, ever, we never take a blanket from the waistline down. Mm -hmm. Never. There's no reason to do so. So we do wrap your legs and meaning um, we want them to stay tight. We We don't want you to move or slide. And then finally, we put a footboard on so that when I operate and when I have to get up to the stomach area of the operation, we put you in a position called reverse Trendelenburg, and that position essentially stands you up so that you're standing there and I'm standing right next to you. So we're like we're like almost like face to face. Like I have you like that that degree of um, standing. The more you're upright, the better for me because that makes everything drop down and that makes me be able to get up to those like high little nooks and cranny areas like where your heart is beating, where the diaphragm is, up by your spleen, the left upper quadrant of your abdomen. I get there, everything kind of falls down when you're standing up. So you're standing up during this procedure on the operating room bed. Yeah. It's crazy. It is so crazy. And people are surprised to hear that part as well. Mm -hmm. So on a gastric bypass, I do anything small intestine while you're completely flat. And then I do everything upright like the gastrojejunostomy or if you're doing a sleeve and I'm making the new sleeve stomach, all of that is in reverse Trendelenburg or you're standing up upright as well. And then you put them into Trendelenburg as well, right? Never Trendelenburg. Okay. See, this is why I'm not the surgeon, guys. No, just reverse. Trendelenburg means you're standing on your head. Right. And that would be for pelvic procedures like... Like prostatectomies okay. for men, um, anything OBGYN, like um, any like uh, a hysterectomy, you would be in Trendelenburg position so that the uterus falls down into where you where, where you, you want to be. See it where you can, can see it. it. Gotcha. Yeah, you can't access if you're flat. I can't get up top, and they can't get to the bottom. So it has yeah. to like go oh, one yeah, of the one direction seesaw. or another. Yeah. Yes, a little seesaw action. So the beds are very cool. These operating beds, we can airplane you to the right, airplane you to the left, make you go upright, make you go down, bed up, bed. down down if I'm super tall. So I'm always like bed all the way up or even in the beginning, all the way down. Mm -hmm. So it is, um, I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of technology that behind the scenes of just how like your body's moving while you're completely asleep and you don't even recognize that. Oh yeah. And I, and I think that's another thing that is interesting when you go into this after, you know, again, everything I know is basically I've seen on, on TV, right? You don't generally see a lot of surgeries in real life. Um, and they don't do a lot of those movements. You will hear things like, oh, put them in Trendelenburg or, you know, whatever, but you don't hear and you don't see. It's like, oh, there's so much that goes into these little, like, little movements that make a big difference and make surgery possible. And again, it comes down to that team of people that is in the room with you and and you have the people that they know. You're like, when I go into reverse Trendelenburg, I'm going all the way or I'm going this degree Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because it's not, it doesn't have to be one or the, you know, one extreme or the other. There's variability in between. They know where you like it and and where to put it and everything. So, okay. So we have the second, you have your assist. 
Yeah, so right. the assist stands across the table. So mm-hmm. on the patient's left-hand side is where the assist stands. Okay. In my assist, we have in our practice um, a physician assistant, Samantha. We have a nurse practitioner, Christine. And I also sometimes work with residents as well. So residents, they're um, typically senior or chief-level residents, meaning they're fourth or fifth of five years of their training in general surgery. I typically work with people who just want to do bariatrics, so they're on the same track. So they want to spend time with my partner and myself and just learn about the surgical techniques and learn about um, managing patients and the operational side of it in terms of the outpatient side and all of that. So they'll be in there as well, learning, assisting, retracting tissues, holding the camera, because there is a camera that is in the whole time. These cameras are legit. These are like super high definition. These things um, are also angled because so you can like look around bends. So I'm Mm -hmm. like, I need it. I need you to like look to the right, look to the left, look up, look down, come in, move out. Like, so there's, I needed to focus. I need you to have it clean perfectly. There's like all this special solution that you can use to make sure that there's the most high definition. There's no smudges on the camera. Mm -hmm. It's not fogging up. There's suction tubing that takes some of that smoke away when we use an energy or cautery type device. So there's a lot going on here to make sure that I can see, I can get this done, and get you off of the operating room table as fast as possible. Right. And then finally, there's always a nurse that is devoted in the room only to you, the patient, the circulating nurse. So it is – that is why operating rooms are expensive because there's a lot of people that are only focusing on on you. It's not like they have, they're split between two rooms. No, no, no. They're in that room. They're getting the equipment. They're making sure things are set up properly. If where something's missing, they'll run and get it. They'll, um, they're helping, you know, anesthesia intubate the patient. They're making sure that they're available, um, you know, to do all kinds of things. And um, they're charting, they're, you know, in other words, they're putting stuff into your electronic medical record, they're sending off specimens to pathology. So there's a lot of, uh, again, moving parts that once you get used to it, though, it's just like any job, I guess, in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And there, I think that's something else that people don't realize is like how technically trained each of those people has to be. Mm, You know, like, I don't know the difference between all of the little sutures and all of the little, the, the, staplers like you'll you'll and there's like the left and the right and the this that the other and oh yeah different retractors so you know these people have like it's a it's a big training to get into these roles it to totally be able to is. Do that. It is. And it is in essence, and this is the way we want it. We want it boring and we want it to be like a groundhog's day. Yep. So and for the most part, these surgeries are bloodless. And meaning that um there's I might lose like a couple of like cc's of blood, like hardly anything at all. So some people are like, I don't know if I could come in there. I'm just going to throw up. That sounds so disgusting. Mm-hmm. It's not like that at all. Like you're all like just watching TVs all around the room, these high definition images. And we're just going to town describing the anatomy. You can see the stomach. You can see the liver. You can see your gallbladder if you still have one, mm-hmm. the spleen, the diaphragm, the heart beating through the diaphragm. That's a, that's a cool one to be able to like when you catch that, it's like, wow. Yeah. yeah, this person, this is a real live a real person life. right here. I yeah. want to see that heartbeat, and I want to see. <laughs> oh, I really want that. Yeah, I really want to see that. Yeah. And you can see the intestines, the colon or large intestine, mm-hmm. the omentum, the fatty apron that covers the intestines. I take a spin around the abdomen, so I'm looking around at everything to be able to make sure, like. Did you have previous surgeries? Okay, how much scar tissue is in there from that? Sometimes I have to actually take down 
some scar tissue or a lot. Mm -hmm. And that means adhesions, meaning like the omentum or small intestine is stuck to the abdominal wall. So I have to unstick it. Sometimes it's all wadded up and you have to like meticulously kind of like unwad it to get the small intestine free to be able to do the procedure. If you've had a previous surgery on the organ of the stomach, such as like a lap band or like a Nissen fundoplication, an anti-reflux procedure, with those ones, there might be um, some scar tissue with the liver that's stuck kind of in that area. So there's a lot of... um, Again, I see the same stuff over and over and over again. Right. So there's a lot of repetitive nature. So we do a lot of revisions and a lot of um, first-time surgeries, and I like it boring. I don't want to be thinking about the surgery. I want it to be sort of like autopilot, second nature. Again, another reference to the old airline industry. Yeah, right. It just should be it, – it should just be like a process. You just follow the steps, and then we move on. Exactly. Because you don't want it. I mean, I don't want someone going in and reinventing something while they're – you know, doing surgery on me. Like, no, I want it to be something that's very rote and boring. Exactly. That is such a great point. If it's every time like, so what equipment would you like, doctor? Um, eh, yeah. Let's try this today. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't we do that? Yeah. No, no, no. You get your technique. And then again, it just refines over time. And I feel, you know, like I have the correct sizing tube to make the thumb size pouch. I use a 32 French for a bypass. I use a 36 French for a sleeve. I have anesthesia place it at the exact same time each time. All of that. Is that like gauge or is that different? It's French. So it is like the diameter of everything is um, – the diameter of that is about the same caliber of the esophagus and of the small intestine. Okay. So people will ask all the time like, can I swallow a pill again? afterwards. But since that diameter is about the same size, um, yeah, just take them one at a time, for example, and and that one. So it is, um, it's not like a gauge of a needle, but it's um, it's the same kind of idea. Idea. So, but in this case, though, gauges of needles, it's opposite. Right. The, um, The bigger the gauge, the smaller the needle. In this one, the the big the smaller the number the smaller the okay. size so, the so 32, 32 is smaller, smaller than the 36. exactly Got so it. 36 is bigger okay. on this one and so and i use a device called a visigi so there's a, yes there's all these and that thing acts as three different tubes it decompresses the stomach it acts as a sizing tube and it can be act as a leak test so there's a lot of there's a lot more that goes into it. We might look like we're just bubbling and smiling and, you know, like just talking about there. But behind the scenes, it's like we're pedaling very, very hard to make it look this easy. Oh, yeah. And then just, the, I mean, just turning over rooms and, you know, doing surgery. Like it's a lot. It's a busy, it's a busy little spot that everybody is very efficient and effective in. Absolutely. No, I think that's such a, a great point. Yeah. So when you come into the OR the next time, I don't want you to fear it. Everybody there knows your anxiety. So everybody there will introduce themselves. They'll say hello. It's warm and welcoming. Sometimes you'll even hear the music kind of softly playing in the backgrounds or loudly. Who knows? Hopefully they've turned it down. <laughs> um, they'll get you all positioned, all cozy and warm. And the next thing you know, You're in the recovery room and it's over. You did it. And they're going to give you some good drugs before you go in. Oh, yeah. A lot of times they'll give you a little verse. So you might not even remember that part. Some people are like, don't give it to me. I don't want to forget this. So um, that's a once in a while. But most people are like, "Uh, no, push it. Yeah, relax. I I want to just relax. This is – I'm super nervous. And I always want to say that if you're still extremely nervous to undergo these procedures – that means you're normal. Uh-huh. I mean, this is – it is high anxiety. It is a lot of stress to do this. And I think um, 
You know, it takes a lot of courage. Again, there's a common theme here, and we want to empower you to do this, to, again, climb on that OR table, get moved onto it, lay there, stare up at the ceiling, stare up at the OR lights, just be like, I'm really doing this. And again, like when you wake up and you're just, I always say this, like you're on such a mission Mm -hmm. to change your life. And boy, the first step in doing something so overwhelming, like changing your life, man, that is, that's tough. And that is the first step to the rest of your life. It is a really, um, it's a rebirth. It's a, it's a, it's such a, um, it's such a, a pivotal moment in the journey because, and that's what I love about being a surgeon is like, no matter what, hopefully for better and most of the time for better, but for better or for worse, your life is forever changed because of the impact that I had on it. And in that surgery, I look at every single patient like, you know, this is truly just such an honor and privilege to get to have to get to do this and and to have the skill set to to perform these operations. And um, I, I look at every patient as, you know, this is that's it. That's my only priority in those moments. And I want to like do the best job because even like when I get to get my hair done, here we go again, or get my nails done or anything like that, you want them to give you their best performance, right. their very, very best performance. And um, and that is something that is um, really, um, again, just such a privilege of my life. Yeah. Yeah. And I think going off of that too, it's so important to find the surgeon that you need you vibe with and that has that that outlook and finding the person that you know is going to be everyone's looking out for everyone's best interest in the end of the day but finding the person that that really relates with and and gives you that feeling of like I'm confident walking into this life-changing moment with this person by my side Exactly. And I think that it's not just the surgeon. I mean, it is this whole team. And Mm -hmm. that's what I loved. We talk all the time about the first moment Hannah and I met. And um, when we looked into each other's eyes over Zoom, I believe you were still in Chicago at that time. I was in my old office. Yeah, I was at work. Yeah, she was in Chicago. And you were doing renal nutrition. I worked at a dialysis center. Yeah, dialysis clinic. And she somehow, by the grace of God, found this position mm-hmm. and applied. And I had interviewed a fair amount of dietitians. The minute I met you, I was like, oh, yeah, this is the perfect person for our patients. Yeah. Yeah. That interview was like, we vibed for sure, which I don't use that word because I'm not a Gen Zer, but like, we like vibed <laughs> and we like couldn't shut up. I felt bad for some of the other people on the interview because they were like trying to get the questions that are, you know, required answered. And we're just like, like we were, we were doing our first podcast basically Pretty at much. that point. I know. Like the energy was, there's other people there and it was like, I didn't even see them. I got tunnel yeah. vision from my hand on. I was like, I need to connect with this woman. And yeah. and for all of our patients out there, I hope you take advantage of, of Hannah and, and the buildup before and after surgery. Every single Tuesday at noon, you can jump on and she talks and does a Q&A on more pre-op topics. So yeah. we have that. That is such a cool resource. It's complimentary, no appointment necessary. Just hop on the old Zoom uh-huh. link. And then every Thursday at noon, she talks about more post-op type topics. Yeah. And Come with your questions. There you go. And I actually love um, I love the community that develops because it's like people who are complete strangers, different walks of life, different uh-huh. ages, they leave friends. Uh-huh. Yeah, I had a couple weeks ago, I had uh, five, like five people on and it was uh, somebody that was three days post-op, somebody that was two weeks post-op, 
somebody that was like, I think she hopped in for a minute. She's like a couple months out. And then I had an eight and a 10 monther. Wow. So I like had the whole gamut. And like, it was just so, I just sat back. I at some point just shut up because I was like, she's, you know, it's one of our OG patients that is on top of absolutely everything. And she was just like, this is what I did. And this is what I do. And this is where I've been successful. And back when I was in your position, this is what happened. And I was just like, like, I'm leaving guys. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love that. And, you know, I think a lot of practices almost fear patients giving the wrong advice or saying something that could potentially be dangerous. I have learned more from my patients, more from the support groups, more from just, again, shutting up and listening, which as you can hear from me babbling on and on, is a challenge. It's a challenge, yeah. It's a challenge, but it is it is absolutely fascinating. So I think that the OR at the end of the day is such a very small sliver mm-hmm. of the overall journey, one in which she's focused so much energy on fearing. And I get it, you're losing control, but I don't, again, don't take that lightly. And so I think, you know, all the build up to it and then finally the relief and then the life really starts afterwards mm-hmm. is, um, is, is, is just a part of the bigger picture moment in time exactly and so we really want to just kind of demystify that if you're on the fence you know you need to do this you know that you will benefit from this you know you're just like on the cusp i hope that you can see that it's rather really rather boring there's really it's just really this all this podcast was just to tell you that what we do is is rather boring in the operating room yeah i mean it's cool from from an outsider it's like, all right. But then after a while, yeah, I'm usually talking to somebody. I know. Especially if somebody funds in the OR with me. Well, I, if I'm in well, there, I'm in there. I know. But sometimes you're, you are busy. I am you busy. Know, you I am operating. I'm commanding the yeah. ship. I'll tell you, I yeah, am the, the captain. captain. Absolutely. I am the captain and I don't mess around. And that is, um, there's a time for, you know, nice, gentle conversation and music. And there's a time for, okay, things are getting really serious right now. Yeah. And we got to really um, focus, quiet. And, um, you know, and make sure that we, we take care of whatever mm-hmm. it is. Bleeding can occur. Um, you can get a, a, some some body happinesses are really challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're out there thinking, OK, what can I do to make my surgery even easier? Um, there there can be if you can lose weight before surgery, that's awesome. We recommend a low starch or a total net carb less than like 50 gram, which is it's kind of limiting diet for the weeks leading up to surgery. So it's still regular food. We don't put you on liquids for an extended period of time. But we do recommend that you really try to get rid of the junk, mm-hmm. like get rid of the sugary drinks, especially get rid of like the snacking on the pretzels, the popcorn, the chips, like really just try to focus on kind of lifestyle afterwards is right. what I tell them, like eat three meals, don't skip meals. And that's all another episode too oh, on yeah. in terms of like our patients eat too little. And then that will really work to shrink the liver. Like sometimes mm-hmm. it's like super engorged and just super um, fatty and thick. And there have been a couple of times um, I've seen from other surgeons, even my partner, myself, where we've had to abort surgeries. Very rare. So I don't want you guys all freak. Like, is my liver going to be okay? Do not freak. Um, And especially if you follow the diet before. But there are some times where the liver is so thick and heavy, I cannot get to the stomach like I need to. Because if you don't know, the liver kind of sits on top of the stomach. It's like this little – they're little besties and they hang out. And so you have to move that out of the way to really access that stomach. So, yeah, shrinking that up, doing – you know, we do a two days of clear liquids, which even further helps kind of 
get rid of those glycogen stores and everything in the liver and, and kind of clear everything out. And of course, different surgical practices will have different pre-op requirements. Some do a more strict liquid diet. So whatever your, you know, practice does is, is what you'd want to listen to. But, um, you know, in that, again, it's, it's really just to help make the surgery just go more smoothly and be more um, efficient for the surgeon. Definitely, definitely. And there is the intra-abdominal weights, which, you know, is tough. And then there is sometimes abdominal walls can be very, very thick, which kind of puts torque on the instruments. And so sometimes um, I'm really bending and pulling. And um, it can be, it, so not all surgeries are the same level of um, of difficulty or easiness. So that is um, something else that you can definitely do. But my friends, you've made this decision and um, we're going to do everything in our power to get you through it safely, like I said, efficiently and get you onto that road of recovery. So no yeah. fears, my friend, take that jump. Here we are. We're behind you. We're pushing you. Enjoy the descent. Here Absolutely. we go. Absolutely, It's going to be awesome. And we're here for you every step of the way. Totally. There's and never that. a point where you can't ever. And this is any team. I, I feel confident speaking on behalf of other dietitians out there that do this, that like, Yes, maybe if you message me at midnight, I'm not going to get it because I don't have the alerts on. But I will, I will get to you as soon as I see that, and I will. It doesn't matter if if it's outside of, you know, eight to four thirty that I'm technically working. Like, no, it's fine. You can message me, and maybe we need to set up an appointment. Maybe we need to troubleshoot or something like that. But I know that everyone out there is just like, call us, message us, like mm -hmm. email us. However, you contact your team, like get in touch with us because if you're having some issues or you're having some concerns or you're just nervous and you want to like yes. talk through those nerves, like your team is there to support you through the whole process from the minute you go in from your initial consult to the minute you get off of that operating table and you wake up in that recovery room. Like there are people, there's a whole well-oiled machine in the background that is there to support you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, you know, it is, it, it's an exciting ride. So enjoy it. Absolutely. Well, great. So those are some of our Tales from the OR. Ooh, yes. What's the, what's the name of the book and what's the release date? Um, <laughs> TBD. Stay tuned. Yeah. Please keep following us for more updates uh -huh. on our exciting lives that we live here. Yes. So, yes, you can follow us on Instagram at Dr. X Dietitian. And otherwise, we will see you next time. Thanks again, guys, for listening. We'll chat with you soon. Bye, Bye. now. Bye.